0: Edition of believe in titans podcast we have a uh, we have a lot to talk about for uh, for it being mid may and by we i mean former titans cornerback denard walker who of course also played for the broncos the vikings and the raiders in a distinguished nfl career longtime titans beat reporter and currently at all titans at si.com john glennon and i am david beauclair also at all titans at si.com you can find our work there at uh, si.com slash nfl slash titans and uh and let's get right to it uh ryan Tannehill last week had one of the more interesting i think press conferences of of his tenure as titans quarterback made some headlines in in kind of good and bad ways we'll start with uh with the fact that he talked about uh Going to some dark places, I guess, and and really taking the playoff loss to Cincinnati very hard, and and he needed some needed to use some therapy to to help him sort of get past it and and move forward to this season. And I'll start with you, Denard. You were you know you were on the Titans in two thousand when you guys went thirteen and three, had the best record in the NFL um lost to baltimore in your first playoff game uh, the year before of course you were on the super bowl team lost in a dramatic super bowl to the rams either one of those games particularly hard for you to deal with and 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 if so what you know what did you have to do to get through it
1: well not until you just brought it up david i was <laughs> actually <laughs> i was i was over it until you started mentioning but uh i tell you what, um, David and John, the hardest one for me was losing uh, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 34, uh, because we were so close to winning that game. And unfortunately we lost by, when they say it's a game of inches, we lost by an inch. And what hurt so bad was, you know, to be on um, when the Rams had, Went up. It was 16-16 and they scored that last touchdown in the fourth quarter. And Isaac Bruce made that great catch. And it was on some guy named by the name of Denard Walker. It was hard. It, it was hard. And then, not to mention, just to get that far into fall that short, it it, it hurt. And it took an offseason to get through that. It took an offseason just to let things go. And that's what Ryan is feeling right now. He's feeling the, what we call residue after last year's performance in the playoffs. And that's not unusual. It's common. And he has to get over it because if this team wants to go further next year, or 2022, it's going to be, the hands, going to be in the hands of Ryan Tannehill. So, again, this is not unusual for guys to go through a dark place in the uh, offseason, especially coming off of a loss where you were the number one seed in the AFC. It's tough.
0: John should uh, should Titans fans feel better about the fact that that he took it so hard or or should they be a little nervous that their their quarterback can't let things roll off his back as much as that you think
2: personally I I like it I think Titans fans should like it as well that that Ryan Tannehill cares you know he is not a guy you know he's at a you know a uh, a lengthy uh, career here, you know. I guess one option is to say, "Oh well, you know, uh, this kind of thing happens. We'll, we'll get him next year, sort of deal." Uh, that, that was not the case for Ryan Tannehill. He clearly, uh, you know, deeply cared about the loss, about his performance, um, and and I, as as a you know as a, a, a Titans fan, I think I would appreciate that uh, in in the quarterback. Number two, I like the way that he addressed it, you know, that, that he said he not only relied on on his, on his circle and, and his support group, but as, as you mentioned, David, that, you know, he, he went to therapy, he dealt with some of these issues because he was in such a dark place for, for such a long time. Um, you know, and, and third, I, I like it from, from that standpoint as well, the fact that he revealed uh, all this as well. You know, there's been so much talk uh, you know, I think especially in recent years about trying to get over this stigma of, of mental health and, and so forth, and and you know, uh trying to do more than just uh you know tough things out when you when you need some help. Uh Ryan Tannehill was a guy that said, Hey, I'm I'm in this dark place. I need some help. I'm gonna get some therapy to work my way out. And he said he kind of feels fueled, you know, re energized and motivated right now. So I'm 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 pretty excited about that if I'm a Titans fan.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a guy, keep in mind you know, never even played in a playoff game until his 8th year in the league i mean he he certainly is not in a position where he would take this for granted and and say, oh well, we'll be, you know, I'll have plenty of opportunities in my career to be the number one seed and to to make another run at a Super Bowl. I mean, in 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 three short seasons here, he's played in an AFC Championship game. He's been the number one seed in the AFC, still hasn't, you know, still hasn't gotten to a Super Bowl. And and you you certainly get the sense that he knows that those uh, th- those opportunities are are. Going to be running short for him as as he goes deeper in this career, and those opportunities are probably going to be cut short a little bit by the fact that the Titans drafted Malik Willis in the third round, and uh, and, and Tannehill made big headlines last week with his uh, with his comment that he doesn't consider it his job to mentor Malik Willis, and uh, uh, we'll go back to you, Denard. You know, you were you is is that. You were a veteran at one point in your career. How, how did you approach young guys what, uh, who were there to take your job? What did you want to do in that sort of situation?
1: Well, David, I've been on both sides. You know, I've, I've been a rookie coming in uh, in 1997. And I know how veterans, especially in the olden days, they used to treat you. Because, you know, what happens when I first got there, I'm not going to lie to you, it was hard because none of the veterans would talk to me. Uh, they knew I was a high draft pick coming in third round, 75th pick. And I love Steve Jackson and I love Daryl Lewis, but they had, you know, no words of encouragement because they knew why I was there. You know, I was there to, to play. They didn't bring me in there just to, uh, you know, work on my son tan. And so what happened was, you have to understand when you're a rookie, you pay your dues. It, it's just the way the game is. And, when you were, and then so when I became a veteran, I realized, you know, how it felt to be treated like an outsider. It wasn't easy. So what I would do when a young guy, when they drafted a young guy, let's say Dane and Sydney in 1998, or Donald Mitchell, uh, we end up bringing in in 1999. You know, if guys ask me a question, I was always very proactive. I was transparent. Like, listen, this is what you have to do. I was always willing to take a guy aside because I don't think that you get anywhere with kind of creating a barrier between, you know, a young guy and an old guy. I think it's good to be a mentor, but you don't have to be a mentor, David, by, you know, trying to point every little flaw out. And and I love what Mike Tomlin said. You know, he said, listen, it's not necessary for Ryan because it's not in his job description to be a mentor. He's not getting paid to mentor Malik Willis. He is getting paid to go out there and to be productive. And and like I said before, the mentoring ship for, let's say, Malik Willis, and I don't want to keep harping, it's going to come from offensive coordinator Todd Downing. Those are the the coaches, Pat O'Hara. Those are the two individuals you're going to spend the most time with. Not Ryan Tannehill. Ryan's going to be just like you. He's going to be trying to absorbing as much information as he can as he can. And he's going to try his hardest to go out there to be the best that he can be. This is not unusual. I mean, look, look down in Green Bay, go back years ago. I remember playing in Green Bay. We knew that there was one player that stood out in Green Bay. That was Britt Favre. They end up drafting a young rookie out of California with this long, beautiful hair by the name of Aaron Rodgers. Britt Favre wasn't happy about the situation. You forwarded 15, 16 years later. What did Green Bay go out and do? They drafted a young man by the name of Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers wasn't happy about the situation. But you know what? It ends up galvanizing that veteran because he knows sometimes, hey, this young guy's on my tail, so I better get it going. But I don't think this is going it's not Ryan Tannehill's responsibility to mentor Malik Willis.
0: John Glennon, what are, what, what are some of the potential pitfalls, though, of, of him saying that? I think it's one thing for him to think it. It's another thing for him to come out and say it right away. Uh, did, did he create some problems for himself or for this team by saying it?
2: I think so. Um, You know, is is it going to create a huge rift? No, I I don't think so. But, but one of the issues I I had with it, uh, you know, and and David, you and I were both there for the, for the, you know, availability in which Ryan said this, but the question he was asked never involved the word mentor. Nobody asked him about whether he would serve as a mentor. Nobody asked him, is it your job to mentor? The question was more along the lines um, if I can remember of, of, How do you go about working with a guy, you know, in the same quarterback room and competing with him uh, as well? So, you know, if I'm Ryan Tannehill in that situation, I'd simply say, you know, uh, it's all, you know, it's about the competition, but also we want to have a good room. We want to have, you know, good relations with everybody. And and if, you know, if if he comes to me, I'm I'm happy to help him. But instead, he kind of went out of his way, in my opinion, to say, I'm not going to be serving as a mentor, because it's not my job. Well, I agree. It's not written in your contract uh, that you're supposed to mentor the young quarterbacks, but I do think in your role as a, the quarterback who is always considered a leader on the team, a guy who's been in the league 10 years, highest cap, uh, you know, figure in the league, a two-time captain of the Titans. I think mentoring should be part of what you do. And, and by mentoring, I, I believe it's, going a little bit out of your way, you know, to, to help out somebody at the position, not only answering questions, but saying, Hey, you know, Malik, this is how you do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, I went back, um, I I think you were kind of the the start of a, of a new wave of kind of veterans who maybe helped out the younger guys, because I went back and and looked at some stories that I had done and and others had done. And guys like Jason McCordy, uh, Chris Hope, uh, uh, you know, and, and then further down the line at different positions, Cameron Wake, Andre Johnson, all guys that, that I spoke to and said, hey, I know these guys are coming after my position. But nonetheless, you know, because guys were good to me coming up, I yeah. feel a responsibility to, to pass that on to some of the others. Jason McCordy in particular, he talked about Chris Hope. Uh, you know, he talked about Cortland Finnegan. Uh, you know, and, and a couple other guys that 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 helped him out and said, "Yeah, I want to do the same thing." These guys were were people that said to me, "Hey, come on, you need to get in the cold tub." Hey, come on, you need to watch extra film. You need to do this, and he wanted to pass that to the younger guys, even though there there was a job competition. So, from that aspect, I, I think Ryan Tenhal owes a, a little bit more than than what he said.
0: Yeah, and. I, you know, he said what he said, and I'm sure he meant what he said because because uh, Ryan Tannehill's a guy who who is always in my dealings with him seems well prepared for you know his his time in front of the media. He he kind of knows what's coming. He's prepared for it. He doesn't you know he doesn't sort of sort of shoot from the hip with what he's Mm -hmm. with what he's saying he's uh so but but i do think there is there is an additional sort of subtext to what he was saying and 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 i think it i think it's along these lines we all know the quarterback position in the nfl is is different than any other position it's obviously so important but it's also different the way organizations treat it and uh and i think I think what he was really trying to say in a certain way too was look they 're going to give the kid the job whenever they want to give the kid the job, whether he 's ready for it or not, whether I have helped him get ready for it or not there 's going to come a moment when they 're going to say we 're giving this job to Malik Willis right now you like you can go back to two thousand and twelve for example. Jake Locker was not a better quarterback than Matt Hasselbeck was at that point, but First round draft pick in 2011 sat for most of that season. Coaches decided, you know what? If this guy's going to be our quarterback of the future, let's get the future started right now. Let's put him in there. Let's go. And and I and I think Ryan Tannehill's probably looking at it, saying the same thing's going to happen with uh, with Malik Willis. And and I, you know, he he's he's sort of resigned to that fact, and he's just going to have to. Just gonna have to roll with that when it comes, and uh, you know, it, it could be, it could be at some point this season, even if if this team gets off to a, a terrible start for some reason, or if Tannehill's really struggling, and uh, and uh, you know, that's that's sort of that's sort of the reality of of the quarterback world because that That's not a position where you can say okay we're going we're just going to put him in there on first downs and let him get you know let him get that sort of experience or we're just going to put him in there on running plays i mean you've got to be running that huddle you have to be you have to be seeing defenses pre snap post snap doing all those sorts of things and uh, and that's you know that that's gonna that's going to happen at some point coaches are going to decide that that this is, this is the time. So we'll see, we'll see when that comes. Denard, you you mentioned, you mentioned when you were a young guy that you had older guys in the room and then you became an older guy at one point, but the Titans right now with the, with second-round draft pick Roger McCreary, you go back to last year, first-round draft pick Caleb Farley, third-round draft pick Elijah Molden. The year before that, second-round draft pick Christian Fulton. That is a young group of highly drafted cornerbacks. It's, yes. Uh, yes, yes. you have Buster Screen. Yes, you have Greg Maven, who has been signed back this week as some veteran guys, but uh, – but, can you go with four young cornerbacks kind of as as at the top and 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 let these guys sort of do their thing? Would you do that if you were if you were a coach of this team?
1: Yeah, you have to.
0: <laughs> Look
1: at last year. Most of the guys you just mentioned, you talk about Buster Screen and Greg Mabin, they were your starters uh in midseason because you lost a lot of your defensive backs. You talk about Elijah Molden stepping up and playing well last year. Uh, 2021. Again, it's it's depth. You have to have depth in this league. That's the way Titans they finished 12 and 5 uh this past season was depth. I mean this is what this was a team. I hate to use the word decimated because when I think about decimated, I think about teams like the 49ers uh, a few years back, when they finished six and 10, when they lost 84 players, or go back in like 2019 when Miami went five and 11. When your team is like depleted of injuries, typically your season doesn't end well. This team was the polar opposite. They finished 12 and five, and it was because of players like you just mentioned, the Chris Jacksons, those guys stepped up and played well. So now, what you add in the secondary this year, you add youth and you add, you have two studs at the corner. So once again, I think – and then you add Roger McCray, who most people say, hey, he's first-round potential. So once again, that just – strong it makes your defense so much stronger because we know that everything is predicated up in the front, in your trenches. You've got the best trenches in the league. That front four that they have, I'm talking about the Big Jeffrey. You talk about Usain Harrell, um, D'Amico, all those guys, Nico uh, Landry, those guys – the way that they play and if they play uh, this way next year, watch out. This defense could be the number one defense statistically in the NFL. So once again, I love it. I love this secondary because you have youth and when you have youth, you can do so much in the back half. So again, I think this is going to be a great uh, year for the secondary for Tennessee.
0: John, do do you think there's a, uh, I mean, the cornerback position, is it, is it young guys have you know they're, they're fresher? Are they fresher mentally? They haven't been beat up. They're they're they they play a little more. I don't want to say they gamble, but a, but a little more fearless. What what do you think? What do you think this group can be, particularly those four young guys as as a quartet there.
2: All kinds of potential, you know, certainly when you get as many highly drafted corners in as short a time as the Titans have, you know, there's certainly potential for for quite a core going forward for for a number of years. Uh, um, Sort of my question though, is that, you know, and I'm sure one of the reasons that, that, you know, Roger McCreary gets picked so early, a second round draft pick is because there are still questions about Caleb Farley. We just don't know for sure you know, whether whether he's going to come back fully from the, the ACL and, and what that'll look like in, in his first year back. But at the same time, what, what kind of what happens when all these guys are, are healthy, assuming that's the case? You, you're not playing all four. So at that point, you know, you are sitting, you know, at, at least one of your highly drafted uh, cornerbacks. And, and I agree with Denard that, you know, depth is, is great and, and you got to have it. Um, but uh, again, assuming uh, everybody's healthy, how does that rotation work? Do you, do you automatically say Elijah's our guy in the slot? Cause that's sort of his position and the other three guys rotate, or do you, do you say, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about Roger McCreary, it, you know, has he played uh slot enough uh, or, or at all so that that he might, you know, have some uh, some opportunities there and, and the other guys uh, Fulton and Farley playing on the outside. I'm interested to see how that, how that all pans out at the at the cornerback spot
0: and, and what's really interesting to me and we talked about it a lot in the last episode about the the wide receiver contracts and what's going on at wide receiver right now and and all the big money being thrown it at, at Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams and and so on down the line you know it it's been a long it's been a long held tenant in the NFL that you know, you strike while you've got a quarterback on a rookie contract, where you're not paying, where you're not paying him a lot of money. If if these four guys, all playing on rookie contracts, can cover these high priced wide receivers all over the league, I mean, I mean, what a what a bonus that that is, sort of in your in your roster building when you think about it. Because uh, I mean, you could have theoretically these four guys on any particular Sunday could be could be making less money than the the one wide receiver that the number one wide receiver that they're playing against that day and uh and, against and that's Philadelphia, uh, for instance yeah yeah i mean that i mean that is that that is the sort of thing that that if if it if it pans out the way they want it it, it could be a it could be a huge advantage in terms of uh what they can do and, you know, and filling injuries and, and other things that they have to do during the course of the season, too. And, David,
1: can I add on? Yeah. And, and let me say this. and Let me kind of go back and I try to use a little bit of history. But in 1997, I was brought in. I was a third round draft pick. In 1998, they end up going out and they drafted Samari Roll in the second round out of Florida State, and they got Dana and Sidney out of University of Alabama, Alabama, Birmingham. In 1999, they went out and got a great addition to our secondary and Donald Mitchell out of uh, out of SMU by 2000 by 2000 we have the number one ranked secondary in the National Football League and Most of those veterans were gone. Steve Jackson was still there. He was a backup. Uh, Daryl Lewis, he went to San Diego. We still had Blaine and Marcus at the uh, safety position. That's why you love a money hook and a KB while they're still there because they can get these guys lined up. But that's not only do you have youth, that that unit became the number one unit in 2000. We were the best secondary in the NFL I see a lot of similarities with these four. You think about it. Roger McCary. You don't know what you're going to get out of a rookie your first year. Sometimes rookies struggle. It takes time to get used to the playbook. There's going to be a lot of different things that's going to be thrown at him. But you know that you have your two studs. You got Christian. You got Caleb. You get your second round pick in 2020. You got your first round pick. We don't know if he's going to come back from ACL. We'll know that probably uh, somewhere in the beginning of the season. But once again, you add depth. Because if Caleb's not ready to grow, go, you know that you still got, what, Roger McCurry. But not only that. Is Let me ask you, is Chris Jackson still on the uh, roster? So we haven't even talked about Chris Jackson, what he's bringing to the table because he is the most underrated defensive back in the NFL. Every time, if you look at the last two years, when he's been implementing that lineup, he's been consistent. And that's what you want from a secondary. You want consistency. And this young man, you talk about Tennessee, bust the screen, UT Chattanooga, came off the streets, end up starting, and was productive that's what you want we don't need any studs you want production and that's what this unit they gave to this defense last year they gave you production when your starters were out and and
0: looking at uh looking at the other side of that wide receivers uh John Glennon I'll pose this question to you does there, there are some interesting veteran wide receiver names still available in the free agent market. Do the Titans need to add a, a veteran at wide receiver right now? And if so, who, who are some of the names you like out there?
2: I kind of feel like they do. Now, I, I don't know if they can afford it. Uh, um, you know, certainly they can't. I don't think at this point until that Julio Jones salary, uh, you know, gives them about $9 million more of cap space in, in June. Uh, but you know, you, you look at the wide receiver core right now. Robert Woods coming off an ACL and has never played uh, for the Titans before. Uh, you know, Traylon Burks is obviously a rookie, uh, so there, there's a chemistry situation that that has to be uh, ironed out there. And and Kyle Phillips, the the slot guy, is the same. So you know, Nick westbrook Aquina right now is is sort of your 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 you know uh, fallback uh, safety guy right now in terms of experience and. Uh, chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. So, I think you know, another veteran makes sense in a lot of ways if they can afford it. Some of the guys, you know, you know, probably the biggest name out there outside of you know, uh, OBJ, which I, I think is not in their uh price range, but you know, a guy like Jarvis Landry, yeah. uh, certainly very, very productive. Uh, again, I wonder in terms of price, he might be too pricey for, for the, the Titans as well. He would make a, a lot of sense, but. You know, if you want to look at a guy maybe a little bit down the ladder in, in terms of price, but who might offer something, uh, you know, T.Y. Hilton has been, has had some productive years, never really a- attained that that great level that, that might have been forecast for him. But, you know, certainly a productive guy, a guy the Titans have seen plenty of times over the years um, and and who I think could contribute something to the team. I think he makes sense. And, you know Emmanuel Sanders, guy who's 35 years old, but but still very productive. You know, still getting the job done. Uh, you know, last year in Buffalo, and you know one one other name came to mind. But there's a lot of question marks. You know, Will Fuller, um, again, a, a guy the Titans have seen plenty of times, and and would offer that downfield element, that that speed threat that would probably boost the Titans, but availability such an issue with with will fuller over the years you know in terms of of many injuries i think that would be a a significant red flag uh as far as the titans are concerned
0: denard what about you anybody out there you like for this team oh man you know what i really want to tip you
1: guys feathers i got a name for you y'all gonna get mad at me for saying this y'all know where i'm going with this (laughs) what about antonio brown what about that ab in nashville you think that because he is productive when he steps on the field man he he's an explosive he's one of the most electrifying just talents it's just getting him right mentally do you think that Mike Vrabel do you think Mike Vrabel can contain A.B. and bring him into Nashville and say A.B. you think you can be productive for us you you helped Tampa get a Super Bowl last year you played great A.B. what what do you think baby what do you you think about A.B.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, Mike Vrabel's big thing is guys got to love football, right? I mean, eight, Antonio Brown has a lot going on, but I don't think anybody questions that he loves football and loves to play football. Uh, little, the rap league th- is
1: not working. It's not working. You know, he has a rap. Uh, he had a little concert. He got booed out. He's not – so he needs his day job. I, I'm I'm thinking, would that be a good fit? I, if just to sit down, talk with Mike Vrabel, talk – just, just get a chance to pick his brain and see what's going on. Because when you put him on the field, I mean, he is a nightmare for defenders. I mean, he can do so much for this offense. It's just the off the field antics that has been hurting this guy. You under, he's, he's a first ballot hall of fame. If he would just shut his mouth and that's been the issue. And, and that's what I just, I hate. And I just feel like if there's a coach that can contain him, put him in his place and nobody's better than doing that than Mike Vrabel. Do you think, David, do you think, John, this could be a fit? A, B, in Nashville. This is not Tampa. He's not in Florida. You know, he's not going to be in Pittsburgh. A quad market in Nashville, great place to live. I, I just, I keep saying to myself, God, this guy could actually be a difference maker for an organization. You know, talent-wise, that there's
2: obviously no doubt tremendous production over the years and would, would offer you know, all kinds of, of good things to the Titans. You know, A, I don't know what he would be commanding salary these days. So of course that's that's an issue. As I said, you know, the Titans are are kind of cash strapped right now, uh, right up against the cap. And you know, they'll they'll get some more in June. But boy, I don't I don't know. I, I think more than that, I I think the red flags might be waving a little bit too much um uh, for, for me uh, as far as SAB. Um you know I, I cause I think one thing you, you mentioned Denard In general, uh, I I agree with you that most of his issues have been off the field, but but the last issue was on the field. You know, we we saw it come come into play on the field uh, when, you know, there's some dispute of of whether he was asked to go in, uh, you know, and play injured or, or, you know, it's kind of unclear exactly what happened, but he said to heck with it uh you know not only the heck with it but i'm taking off my shirt and i'm heading off the field doing jumping jacks oh so, my god that was terrible you know it, was, uh, it would talk about dark places as we did earlier with Ryan Tannehill. i i have to think that was a dark place for for Antonio Brown as well
0: it uh it, it would make for uh make for a much more interesting locker room and, uh, and certainly give folks like us a a lot more to talk about, but uh, that is, uh, that is going to bring us to the end of our time today. We, uh, later this week, the NFL schedule will be released. It's, uh, we already know the Titans have a, uh, have a Monday night game with Buffalo, and we will, uh, we will get into more of that next week, but uh, until then, For Denard Walker, John Glennon, I am David Beauclair. Thank you for listening.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.